well, the one thing I feel like I'm starting to appreciate as a parent is there's never a right answer, you know? So like everything you do, you're like, am I doing the right thing? Like there is no right thing. And it's really what's best for you and what's best for your child. We are the National Institute for Children's Health Quality, an equity-focused organization boldly leading improvements in maternal and child health by addressing inequities and other complex issues facing families. My name is Jay Weisgerber. My pronouns are they, them. And my name is Dominique Davis. My pronouns are she, her. We're part of Nitschke's communication team, and we want to welcome you to Before Birth and Beyond, a space we're creating to focus on pressing issues in maternal and child health through an equity lens of shared learning, action, and impact. Join us as we explore Nitschke's network of experts and innovative project work at the intersection of quality improvement and health equity. Our goal is to equip public health professionals and healthcare providers alike with new tools, resources, and connections to improve how we serve mothers and birthing people, children, and their families. Our main story this episode highlights Maternal Mental Health Awareness Month, featuring a discussion with NICQ Associate Director of Research and Evaluation, Dr. Mira Menon, where she shares some of her experiences as a new mom and healthcare professional. We also share maternal and caregiver mental health resources, offer an opportunity to ask your most pressing questions of quality improvement experts, and more. Helpful details and links are in the show notes. Thanks for joining us. Each month, we'll share part of our ongoing journey toward diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, and access. This month, in recognition of Maternal Mental Health Awareness Month, we're highlighting maternal mental health disparities and sharing resources for mothers and birthing people, caregivers, and families managing depression and anxiety. Though maternal depression is common, Many mothers may not know help is available or may be uncomfortable asking for it. CDC research shows about one in eight women with a recent live birth experience symptoms of postpartum depression. Estimates of the number of women affected by postpartum depression differ by age, race and ethnicity, and state. According to 2021 research study published in Health Affairs entitled Pathways to Equitable and Anti-Racist Maternal Mental Health Care, Insights from Black Women Stakeholders, Black women experience a higher prevalence of maternal mental health conditions relative to the U.S. population, particularly postpartum depression and anxiety. In addition, maternal mental health issues among Black women are largely underreported and symptoms often go unaddressed. A 2020 paper published in Archives of Women's Mental Health also shows women of color, including African American, Asian American, Native American, multiracial, and other non-white individuals are less likely to be screened for depression compared with white women during the postpartum period. Creating pathways to equitable maternal mental health care is a critical component of reducing other overwhelming disparities in perinatal care. Family advocates, public health professionals, healthcare providers, and early childhood educators all play key roles in supporting the health and well-being of children and their caregivers. Designing systems to eliminate the consequences of maternal depression is a series of helpful case studies created by NIST, highlighting stories of three states that have developed successful screening systems for maternal depression and providing appropriate follow-up treatment. There are many important takeaways from each state's work, but three cross-cutting themes were identified. One. Take the time to build strong relationships and develop partners. Helping more mothers and birthing people get screened for depression and referred to services requires collaboration with partners working across multiple systems. South Carolina, Virginia, and New Hampshire all relied on strong partnerships, whether through state agencies or local organizations and advocates, that helped them integrate their screening protocols into existing infrastructure and spread, scale, and sustain changes. Number two, 
Start small and work with the people on the ground to enact change. While not all states leverage a quality improvement framework, all benefited from the quality improvement principle of starting small and engaging in small tests of change to lead to improvement. Central to this work was tapping frontline staff, including physicians and state health workers, and working with them to identify small changes that had the potential to make a large impact. Three, Medicaid is a critical vehicle for ensuring a child caregiver is screened for symptoms of depression. Both Virginia and South Carolina utilized this program to expand access to depression screenings for mothers and birthing people, which led to necessary referrals for treatment to support improved early childhood outcomes. To read more about states' efforts to improve screening and follow treatment for maternal depression, visit nishq.org and see the show notes for links. Recognizing the signs of perinatal depression and anxiety is not only important for mothers and birthing people, but also fathers, partners, families, and friends. Many times, family and friends may be the first to recognize a problem with depression or anxiety during pregnancy and after birth. Maternal depression can have a range of effects on the health of infants, including physical, physiological, psychological, and behavioral. Educating all people about the signs of perinatal depression and anxiety helps ensure mothers and birthing people receive the treatment and support they need while also improving outcomes for their babies. Perinatal depression and anxiety brochures developed by Healthy Start are available to download and share on nichq.org and in our show notes. These helpful brochures are designed to educate mothers and birthing people as well as their support systems about perinatal depression facts and effective treatments and support resources. With help, women and birthing people with perinatal depression and anxiety can get better. By addressing racism and inequities in maternal and infant mental health care, healthcare providers can help close the gap in screening, treatment services, and other supports for people experiencing perinatal depression. Caregiver depression is not limited to mothers and birthing people. Fathers, parents, and other caregivers also report symptoms of depression. To better understand their experiences of fathers, the Pregnancy Risk Assessment Monitoring System, PRAMS, implemented a PRAMS for Dads pilot project in Georgia and found that one in 10 fathers reported depressive symptoms since the birth of their new baby. Promoting fathers' mental health during early childhood is important for the development of babies. Studies show that father development during the perinatal period and in the first year of life leads to children who are more ready for school, who have an advanced vocabulary and enhanced social skills, and who are better able to regulate their emotions. Psychologist and National Fathers Mental Health Expert, Dr. Daniel Singley, joined a conversation with the Healthy Start team to share ways to better support fathers' mental health. They compiled four essential strategies that healthcare providers, public health professionals, and community advocates can use in their own work, including recognizing the prevalence of mental health concerns for fathers, connecting fathers with a support network, building self-efficacy, and supporting the father-partner relationship. See the show notes for a link to read Promoting Fathers' Mental Health During Children's Early Childhood and other equity resources mentioned in today's episode. Stay tuned for more. This episode, we're taking some time to reflect on maternal mental health and the experiences of a new parent who's also a maternal and child health researcher. I had a conversation with our Associate Director of Research and Evaluation, Dr. Mira Menon, and learned more about her experiences navigating these roles. We also talked about how public health practitioners can hold maternal mental health more compassionately for all new parents, but especially those negatively impacted by social determinants of health. And it's interesting being a parent now because my background is in developmental psychology, focusing on children under the age of three. It's interesting seeing it play out to see her reach a different developmental phase, to see her gross motor skills develop, her socio-emotional development. 
to have studied something and really intimately understand it. And then the experience of being a parent just kind of throws it out the door. You appreciate it from a completely different lens. It's this idea of we know what to expect. We make the best practices. We know the stand. And then there's like the parent-child relationship, right? You really have to adapt to your personal circumstances, um, which is something related to the work we do in MCA. Like that's what I think I both struggled with and really grew to appreciate about being a parent. A lot of my work at NicheQ has been with the NAPSIN project. Uh, that project works to promote breastfeeding and safe sleep at a national level. And those were the two things that were the hardest for me as a new parent. My child had the hardest time feeding when she was really little. She had a tongue tie. She had really bad reflux. Uh, it was like breastfeeding was painful for her. It was painful for me. And because of all of that, she wouldn't sleep because she was uncomfortable. So, no, it was really striking to me because we understand what to do and the messaging and all the barriers behind breastfeeding and safe sleep. And then to live it as a completely different experience to say, I feel like the only way that I got through it was knowing where to access resources. From being a public health professional, I knew, okay, I need to reach out to an IBCLC. I need to do X, Y, and Z. I kept reflecting on the fact that that's not an experience that most parents have. We can't have these really black and white messages for parents that completely ignore the nuances of a situation. To be told, you have to breastfeed for now up to two years, when that's causing us like severe mental health problems to worry, is she feeding enough? Especially as a public health researcher, I know any amount of breastfeeding, any amount of breast milk is better than nothing. I know that's not a message that most parents get. As public health professionals, how can we better hold the realities new parents navigate as they try to follow the best practices we promote? It's partly just realizing the experience of one parent is not the same as the experience of any other parent. It is such a unique dyadic experience with your child's personality and temperament, your own personality and temperament. And so it's hard as public health researchers and public health professionals because we do kind of need to live in that sort of population level messaging, but it really ignores individual experience. So there's such importance to having that message out, but it leaves a whole group of parents who are, you know, really struggling, feeling such amazing guilt for considering another option. There's this economist, Emily Oster. She wrote a book called Expecting Better. She provides a lot of information about evidence-based and research-based pregnancy parenting and raising children. Um, and she recently put out something about this idea of there's no second best parenting. It's like always like, this is the best way, but there's never, this is the second best way. <laughs> I think especially as a new parent, you need to hear that. Like this is the best thing to do, but there's nothing wrong with the second best thing to do. And when I buy whatever luck will have made it to one year of exclusive breastfeed, but that is probably only because I was so committed to doing it. And there were so many points where people said, you don't need to do this. And I probably was a little too hard on myself and I didn't need to do that. It was really hard. And the only way I made it was because of 
my knowledge and my privilege, honestly, to get there. This month is also a time dedicated to talk about maternal mental health, something that can significantly affect the health of moms and the development of their babies. Thank you for sharing about the challenges you experienced related to breastfeeding that I really think so many parents go through but lack support. Perinatal depression is the most common and underdiagnosed obstetric complication in the United States. According to the American Academy of Pediatrics, perinatal depression affects 15 to 20% of new mothers, almost double that for mothers living at low income, and triple that for low-income adolescent mothers. What are some of your reflections on that data? It feels like highly unrealistic expectations that we put on new parents. It's shocking to me that not more people are depressed or are anxious because it's just a lot to put on a parent without the village behind them. Well, the one thing I feel like I'm starting to appreciate as a parent is there's never a right answer, you know? So like everything you do, you're like, am I doing the right thing? Like there is no right thing. And it's really what's best for you and what's best for your child. With perinatal depression in particular, a lot of new parents feel like they have to suffer and sacrifice for their child and forget that your child needs your mental health at its best. It needs a caregiver that is functioning optimally. And I say completely guilty of it myself. The fact that I've been able to exclusively breastfeed for a year is a little bit ridiculous given how hard it was for me to do. Again, I'm shocked that I never dipped into that level of nickel depression. I have friends who've had tough times as well. And never once have I said, you must breastfeed exclusively for one year. I said, you need to do what's best for you and your child and what's best for your mental health because your child needs a caregiver that's taking care of themselves. Something that I reflected a lot on during my postpartum time was like being hyper aware of, is this normal or is this depression? Um, And I can't help but think that because of my circumstances, it never dipped into depression because I had a lot of social support. My mom stayed with me for like the first three months postpartum. I knew who to access. I had the financial resources to access supports. I had support so I could take a nap if I needed to, you know? Screening is an important tool to notice changes in mental health. The AAP recommends five touch points for screening for postpartum depression. Once during pregnancy, and again at one month, two month, four month, and six month well child visits. Early intervention and access to community supports and treatment are crucial to improving mental health. You've highlighted the message we can keep repeating. Caring for yourself is the same as caring for your child. What was your experience with mental health screenings related to postpartum care? There's so much care for a pregnant person. And then once the pregnancy is over, it's kind of like, here's your six-week checkup and hope you're great. Each visit, it's like operating with our traditional healthcare system. In all of my pediatrician appointments, there was a form in each visit that clearly asks you about depressive symptomatology. but I will tell you that when I went to those visits with my pediatrician, all I wanted to talk about was the fact that my daughter was not gaining weight, the fact that she wasn't sleeping. So it's not even like we would have gotten to that. That's just putting a lot on a single provider to assuage a parent's worries about their child, to check in on their mental health, to connect them to resources, to make sure they've been connected, to make sure they've taken up on those resources. It's just a lot to put on 
one provider, especially if the workflows aren't in place to do that. So when we consider the impact of social determinants of health on mental health, it's important to note that caregivers who experience poverty are more than three times as likely to have depression as caregivers who don't. Medicaid plays a central role in improving children's health and mandates coverage of services recommended by the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force, such as screening for depression. Healthcare providers, families, and policymakers can come together to reduce stigma, normalize talking about maternal mental health, and improve systems of care. Now that you have this new level of lived experience layered over your research experience, Mira, what do you see as being a way forward? It all goes back to aligning systems. The fact that there's all of these different systems that parents and kids operate with. Like, so a good example, gynecological care prior to giving birth or midwife care, whatever you receive. The fact that is not being interfaced with pediatric care, the fact that that's not being interfaced with any lactation support that you might, like, there's just a lot of disconnect between the systems we operate within. I know that as we continue on this path, there's a lack of connection between the, all of the early childhood systems, the school system, early intervention, and the healthcare settings. I think that really to provide supports to parents, we need to get systems working together. We need to ha- align efforts and have folks communicate with each other. And I recognize that is extraordinarily hard to do, the work that I do. But having lived it, I can tell you an integrated system is the the way to feel supported. In the absence of having that village of support that parents want. Providers across the continuum of care can hold the insights and recommendations shared today to improve the experiences of mothers and birthing people before birth and beyond, while keeping in mind how social determinants of health and disparities related to racism and other forms of oppression impact people's experiences and health outcomes even further. Reflection on the challenges of parenthood can also bring reflections on the joy. So what has been an unexpected joy for you, Mira? See, the through line of her personality has been really interesting. She probably from birth has always been the kind of person that's like, I want to do it myself. And like now that she's turning into a toddler, I see it really happening. She wants to try everything on her own first, and then she'll let you help. It's really interesting to see that happen and to know that that's who she is. With all of the challenges that I had with parenting, It's just so great to see her smile and laugh. Thanks for joining us, Mira. Uh, We encourage you to read Mira's full story on nichq.org. See the show notes for links. Welcome back to Community Q&A, a recurring opportunity to connect with NicheQ's network of advisors, faculty, and expansive project experts. We want to help answer your pressing questions at the intersection of maternal child health and health whether that's about safe sleep and breastfeeding, perinatal care, early childhood systems, or applied research and evaluation. We're still working on some answers for you for an upcoming show, but we want the questions to keep coming. To engage and connect, submit your questions via the link in the show. If your question is selected, we'll reach out to you to be part of this segment. Thanks in advance, and we look forward to your question. Please join us for the next episode of Before Birth and Beyond, where we'll focus on fatherhood and the impact of fathers in maternal and child health. Stay with us as we close out the show with a piece called Why I Work in MCH, where members of the NICHQ team explore what drew them to and what keeps them working in maternal and child health. Today, we're joined by Beverly Reyes, a project coordinator at NICHQ, who shares her deep passion for equity in healthcare that stems from her family background and cultural experiences. Read a full profile on Beverly this month in NICHQ News.
a big part of my background is being a child of Guatemalan immigrant parents, uh, as well as having a family of mixed status. And I've had the chance to work with unaccompanied minors, um, which have all been experiences that have really allowed me to see the challenges and barriers to healthcare firsthand. This would include like language barriers or not having the privilege to take PTO to schedule a doctor's appointment. And in most states, also being ineligible for health coverage due to immigration status, regardless of age, economic barriers, um, seeing all of these things and these struggles that um, people close to me or in my life go through. Often they're told to go to a community health clinic or something. Um, federally qualified health centers are very much needed and have great intentions, but I do think that they have their challenges, um, especially when they're receiving a lot of patients and staff are probably not having the resources needed to support patients. I think with these challenges, you need to ask how much can you really help and tend to the people who need the services. For me, providing truly accessible and quality healthcare for anyone, but especially marginalized people, has been something that I really care about. Thank you for sharing the passion and commitment to better health outcomes for all mothers and birthing people, their children, and their families. And for joining us on this edition of Before Birth and Beyond. Listen to our past episodes and subscribe at nichq.org forward slash podcast. And don't forget to check out our bonus episode featuring a conversation with NHQ Project team members about after action reviews, a quality improvement process designed to strengthen systems and teams.